Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, your host for today's episode, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Jim Elliott and Tina Marie Hernandez of Dive Heart. Uh, we're going to get into Dive Heart a little bit and talk about the organization because it's one that I'm really excited about. Um, but first, I want to welcome you, Jim and Tina Marie. Thank you for joining me, and uh, thank you for sharing your story. Oh, thank you very much for having us. We're excited to speak with you today. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dive Heart is a nonprofit that is building confidence, self-esteem, and independence in the lives of children, adults, and veterans with disabilities by teaching them scuba therapy and scuba diving, as well as other means. So it's an organization that is doing amazing work. It sounds super fun. Like scuba is just, uh, who wouldn't want to go on a scuba expedition? So it's something that I'm sure feels like fun for you, but an organization that is doing some really important work with really important people. Um, So we can't wait to dig into that. But first, I'd love for you to tell me about you and your Chicago story. So are the two of you from Chicago? Did you move here later? Uh, Just tell me how you came to be a Chicagoan. I uh, was born and raised. I was born in Chicago. Then uh, my parents moved us to the suburbs, but you know, western, close western suburbs. And then I went to grad school in Denver. So I was away for about a decade, and then I returned. And so I've been back for it'll be 18 years this year. So the majority of my life has been spent in Chicago. Okay. And uh, and I'm a I'm West Sider as well. I uh, went to high school in Downers Grove, and then uh, put myself through college, College of DuPage, and then uh, Northern Illinois University, where I was recruited by the Chicago Tribune, and then went to WGN Radio and helped start up CLTV, and then wow. the media business to start Dive Heart. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. so we met through Northern Illinois University. We both worked at the newspaper, and we met at an alumni event. Um, so that's how that happened. So we went to the same college, but Tina Marie will tell you it was different years. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you were both were very studious and very, so you would have met in a library or something, right? No, no, it was, it was a, an alumni event. He, he finished with Northern well before I went. Well, <laughs> many, many days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're obviously glad that you did meet because you've now started this amazing organization. Um, I love for people to tell me about Chicago as they remember it. So when you're growing up, can you tell me about uh, like what Chicago was like or what the what the Chicago region was like when you were growing up and sort of how you remember being a kid around here? Oh, well, what was great was um, I have a large family. So my mom was one of six. My dad was you know one of 10. And so they were all over the Chicagoland area. So I had aunts and uncles in Chinatown and I had people in the Pilsen area and I had, you know, we were in the suburbs. And so um, because we were close knit family, we went to all these different places. And then in high school, I remember, you know, both my parents were from the city. They grew up in the city and they were the only parents I remember having that were like, go into the city and (laughs) <laughs> Go figure it out. Go, you know, so I was always the person in high school who was a, uh, the only one allowed to uh, drive into the city. So we would, yeah. we would do that and do some exploring. And I was made to feel like, it, you know, be careful, but explore and enjoy it. You know, I've always loved going into the city. Um, 
when I was in college, I would do summers at a law firm that my one of my cousins was the managing director of. And okay. I remember loving to take the train and then I would walk from Union Station to where I would, it, it was the Prudential building. So I'd have that nice one mile walk every day back and forth in the summers and, you know, playing games of, you know, let's take this street down. Let's go down this street. Yeah. Let's see if I yeah. can walk all the way without catching a red light. So, you know, it's it's something I've always been very proud of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I I just remember my parents said, "Be home before the streetlights go on." I don't know if kids still have to do that, but <laughs> and then it was just like out out and about, just playing and doing that stuff. And it and it, it we thought it was safe to do that stuff, you know, back then. Um, you know, I guess parents are a lot more protective now, but but yeah, kind of been investigating the world around you as a young one. And my dad was a, an army vet with a disability, so I remember dodging wheelchairs at Heinz VA hospital in Maine <laughs> and, um, and grew up with a friend with cerebral palsy in grade school and would walk him to school. So the bullies wouldn't pick on him. And, um, yeah. So it was, it was just kind of, you know, getting to know the neighborhood, you know, back then when you could do that freely. Yeah. Um, Tina Maria, I'll talk a little bit about, uh, your excursion outside of Chicago because going to Denver, I've never been there, but I've heard amazing things that I would love to visit. Um, but being away from Chicago and so much of your family, can you tell us about like what that was like for you and sort of how that helped shape you and what you learned from being away? Oh yeah. Well, Denver, there's a lot of transplants that live in Denver, so you don't find too many natives, you know, people who were born and raised there. But, um, what I, what I found in Denver is, you know, the people that are your friends, like the people that you choose to have as family. Yeah, and yeah. that was what my major support was during those 10 years were people that I met and became friends with who I'm friends with today and who became very close to me. I had my son in Denver. So um, those were his first eight years were, were in that city. And I love going back. It actually, my sister lives there now. She lives in Arvada, which is right north of Denver. So I get to go back every three months um, and visit because I want to be there for my nieces and nephews. Yeah. Um, but it, it really, it's a beautiful city. It's a medium-sized city, or it was at the time. And I remember feeling like it's a nice, comfortable-sized city. You know, Chicago yeah. is bigger, but Chicago yeah. has that feeling as well. And I think it's because it's the neighborhoods. So you can actually... I'm a believer in taking big chunks and making it smaller, right? So you can right. you can have that fit and feel comfortable. And um, I did miss a lot of the Chicago food. I just read a meme how Chicago ruins us for food anywhere else in the world. <laughs> um, I still, like when I go back and visit, I have a certain set of things I need to bring with me food-wise for the people who live there that they can't get <laughs> um, if they're not in Chicago. So yeah. Um, I appreciated Chicago and, you know, the weather, you see a lot more blue sky, but um, I appreciate that Chicago has so much, it just has so much to offer. So yeah. I didn't yeah. think too much coming back. You remind me of a time that my family went to Disney for a family trip. And um, so they, none of them live in Chicago. So I flew down by myself a little later and I get there and they're like, okay, we have dinner ready. Like, you don't have to get any food. Just come right from the airport to the condo. So I was like, all right. So I'm excited. I 
the Sloan. I was tired. I was hungry. I get there and it's Giordano's pizza. And I was like, really? <laughs> but, you know, people love that Chicago, the Chicago food. So I was like, all right, well, I'll eat pizza that I could have gotten a block away from me back home. <laughs> And that, I don't, I've been to Florida many times. I don't know what you, I don't think of Florida. Well, I guess um, any seafood would be yeah. kind of Florida food. So, yeah. Jim, I, I'd love for you to share with me about um, some your work in the media, because I think that's really interesting and um, mm-hmm. what you saw there and sort of what you took away from there that, that would have helped you uh, in starting your own nonprofit, but really just interacting with people, I think is the big thing. So, so what did you learn about your time in media? Well, starting, you know, starting in the newspaper business was very interesting as a young journalist, because mm-hmm. the approach, you know, I, I'm really, really, we're both news junkies and we, I love to like follow what's going on in the media and, and social media, which we didn't have when I was, you know, in the late seventies when I was recruited by the Tribune. And, and there was a, and once, and there was a hierarchy, and in, in, um, I transitioned from writing, you know, the journalist writing reporter side to advertising. Um, okay. And I was able to grow in, in that area. And it was, you know, you started kind of like in the mailroom, even though the advertising folks typically were kind of like made more money and did better and, mm-hmm. um, than the average employee. But it was uh, it was interesting that that was you had to. It wasn't too long before I started there that that advertising sales executives had to like wear white gloves and hats and they had all yeah. sorts of rules, you know. And uh, I had a, I had a beard in college and long hair, and they said nope, <laughs> we're getting rid of that. And so th- and then um, the transition to broadcast to WGN Radio was very opportune um, because I started right before. Uh, WGN got the rights to do the Chicago Bears games in 1984. Okay. And then, of course, in 1985, the Bears won the Super Bowl. And uh, it, it just was a ride. It was an unbelievable ride, um, you know, getting to know the Bears, getting to know Mike Ditka and, and Ray Meyer at the time, who was a big coach at, at DePaul University. And yeah. getting, getting to know them personally, you know, riding on a bus with Walter Payton and, and wow. listening to him make fun of Sean Gale and, you know, holding a brick phone when the phone, the mobile phone <laughs> were, were like this big, you know. And, yeah. Uh, but it also gave me a lot. Of, I had more theater clients than anybody else at the station. So I was able to, um, you know, give my family the experience of of going to theater, to openings at the, at the Schubert and the Goodman and different things. And, and just give people a lot of great experiences. Um, so that was fun. And then transitioning to help the Chicagoland Television News was very cool too because it was a synergy of all the Tribune properties and I was able to you know because I had been in newspaper and radio and and had experience with the Cubs and the Bears and all these different entities that the company had it was it was I was a natural fit for that and helped them yeah. grow and so that it was very cool and then I, I thought I got out of the business a little bit early but uh, it turns out what's Just, happened to the business and yeah, to the Tribune yeah. company in particular I got out just in time, really, and it gave me years to to build my experiences working with people with disabilities and diving, and and then starting Dive Heart in 2001. So this is our 21st year. Wow. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And we still benefit from Jim's experience in the media for Die Hard, right? All the people he met. Yep. And there's it's always a big tease because anywhere we go in the city, Jim could be like, oh, they were one of my clients. <laughs> oh, they were one of my clients. And <laughs> so, um, so it has been a very fruitful experience having him, you know, I, I feel like his, his depth of being able to get to know people, being able to, you know, solidify relationships and then go back to relationships um, that he had in the media business has been very um, good for Dive Heart. Yeah. And it continues to be. Yeah. It's always been, um, you know, for me, it's like, I'm not a great networker. I, I feel kind of weird talking about myself. And then it's like, what do I have that's interesting enough to tell these people that they would like want to connect with me? And um, I've learned over time that everyone's story has value and that people are interested in hearing your story. And so I think that I've gotten a little better with that. But I, but when you have those experiences and when you have those, those that work experience with people and you see that carry over into other areas, it's really good because you really don't know who's going to give you something in this time that will be valuable later. And I think as as uh, young people go into work, they don't always realize like the people they're coming across, maybe the person sitting next to them on the train, maybe the person who is in the elevator every day with them because you all come at the same time and you leave at the same time, um, can be valuable resources for you. And I think that's a, a, a great lesson in that is, you know, just interact with people because you never know who is standing next to you really. Right. No, I, I think that that is such a valuable lesson for people to know. And it's it's not sometimes always talking about, like, how do I introduce myself? What um, I've learned and, you know, partially what Jim has taught me is, you know, approach everyone like, what are you about? Right. When you show interest in someone else, they a lot of times will reflect that interest back. Yeah. Um, so I, I did a project with my son when he was younger and we went to all 50 states. And something that he's shared with me is that. He goes, now anyone I meet ever, I can be like, oh, I've been there. And yeah. and that opens a conversation, right? But you can open a conversation, you know, pretty much anyway. Um, yeah. But he also had an experience that I think of, especially for young people, right? He's he's 26 now, but he, he and I love going to diners and going to various local places to eat. That was one of the rules wherever we went. You got to eat local, okay. right? Yeah. So he goes to he goes to a diner, he sits next to a guy, starts talking to him. Guy's impressed with him somehow. And and he goes, well, let me buy you, you know, let me buy you breakfast. He goes, and here's my card. And if you ever need a job, let me know. And so my son takes the card, goes home, looks him up. And he's like, oh, he's like a vice president of this company. And, you know, and so, again, there, you just never know who you're going to end yeah. up next to. Right. Just out of a casual conversation. Yeah, Absolutely. What's interesting is, uh, as a young reporter, I would go, I would do an interview with you, for example, to tell me more about what, what you do. And um, when I transitioned to advertising, I, I approached it not like I was, I have, had to sell advertising. I approached it a business like I was a reporter. Mm. And um, I, I would say, you know, who, what, when, where, why, how? I'd, I'd say, well, tell me about your business. You know, who's your customer? How do you reach them now? What, you know, yeah. what do you do? And, and as I would learn more about them, we became friends because people 
love talking about their business and about themselves and about what they do. So once they, they shared a bunch with me in my mind, as they would talk, I was going already in different places. And then I would figure out how, if I was with WGN radio, how my, my demographics and my station and the tools that I had, the Cubs and the bears and stuff, how that might fit into their marketing strategy and advertising yeah. strategy. But it developed, I developed some amazing friendships and like Tina Marie says, they're uh, to this day, I have people that, you know, I mean, I called a friend the other day I hadn't seen in, in 20, 25, 30 years and just boom, we struck it up. Like it was yesterday. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> was, uh, uh, when you were in media, was it super competitive? Cause I always think of media being really competitive. <laughs> and so it's like, was it super competitive? And then how did you kind of work with that? How did you deal with that? Well, in, when I was in radio, it was funny because I'll never forget a meeting we had where we were the number one billing radio station in America. And that meant a lot of people wanted to work at our station. They were lined up around the block to work at WGN. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time they cut commission. And I'll never forget the, my boss at the time looked, looked underneath the table at her, like he was looking at everybody's feet. And he said, I don't see any balls and chains on any of you. So in <laughs> other words, if you don't like it, you know, there's a whole line yeah. of people waiting to sit where you're sitting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that gets your attention, you know. And uh, you know, then you just have to do what you know how to do and and uh, and and make it work. And so, you know, I think I led the staff in, in bear sales. I was so excited. And you know, luckily everybody else at the station was jaded because they had been selling the Cubs advertising, and they're like, "Oh, Bears, Cubs," you know. And I said, "Oh yeah. my God, this is amazing!" So I just kind of ran through walls and. Um, but but both of our off buttons are broke. So when I, was with, <laughs> when I was with the Tribune, I was Mr. Tribune. And my friends will tell you when I was at GN, I was Mr. GN and CLTV. Yeah. And they would get sick of hearing me talk about it. And I'm the same with Dive Heart. You know, I'm kind of, you know, this is this is my uniform. You know? It is, I'm, for sure. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's about adapting and it's about branding, I tell people. So, yeah, it is. Um, Tina Marie, I, you mentioned you had a big family. And competition in a big family is huge. I know even just getting food, getting getting dinner sometimes can be difficult when you have a big family. So was it difficult to get your your voice heard? And how did you kind of speak up over the noise? Um, do you remember like growing up, was that something you had to do? Well, my, my immediate family isn't big, but I did grow up with, I have 50 first cousins on one side, right? So, and we were together a lot. You know, we yeah. talk about that now. We, we were together a lot. So they were more like brothers and sisters than they were mm -hmm. cousins. And so, yeah, when we were all together, but, you know, I felt I'm, I'm kind of like mid-level on one side of my family. So okay. there were a lot of, there were a couple people ahead of me and then a couple people behind me and I'm kind of smushed in the middle. And I learned a lot from them. I remember, you know, cousins, testing me about like, do I know all the rock groups and do I know, you know, who did this and, you know, learning dance moves and, and doing that type of thing, playing Charlie's Angels. Um, but I think I developed, I, I was, I, no one would ever call me quiet. So I don't want, you know, if someone heard me say I was quiet, they'd be like, you are, do not know yourself. Um, <laughs> but I think I got my voice from being in my family with my cousins, right? Yeah. They, yeah. It wasn't so much that I wasn't heard, but I, I learned so much from 
them in the sense of, you know, speak up and get your voice known and, and, you know, give your opinion, uh, that type of thing. And now they, you know, everyone has to deal with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, I was the only, I, I grew up in the suburbs and I was the only person of Hispanic heritage for a long time um, until I was in eighth grade uh, yeah. when I was in school. So I never actually real, realized that I was different. I mean, I realized I was different, but I thought it was so cool. I'm like, you know, I get to go into the Pilsen neighborhood and eat, you know, great Mexican food and go to these different things. And, and I always thought of it as a positive. Um, yeah. But I really didn't feel it in school until the second Hispanic person came to, to the school. And then all of a sudden, oh, you two are different. Right. And yeah. I was like, wow, that was really interesting. But um, it's everything I've done, I feel like it's helped me in the, in the end. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the video of like how kids don't know different until someone tells them that it's different, right? It's like they don't recognize, they may recognize differences, but they don't think that that really matters all that much. It's just like you're different than me, but we can still play together. And so I, I think the lesson there is, is like, is, you know, is it taught or is it learned or, you know, nature versus nurture or whatever the argument may be but realistically like kids just enjoy being kids and they enjoy being around people and, and bringing other people into that and i think there is some value in we were talking about networking before there's there's value in just enjoying who's around you and trying to learn as much as you can from them and sharing as much of who you are with them i i agree i there is a powerful moment in my life that i think reflects a lot now in what we do with people in Dive Heart is that um, I remember I did I did something in school. I can't tell you specifically what it is, but I, I did something in school and I remember someone telling me, well, you can't do that. And I mm -hmm. said, but I already did. You know, like, I'm like, you can't tell me I can't accomplish it because it's already happened. And yeah. so it really hit me that, you know, a lot of the people we work with are told no. And that's not yeah. a word we use in, in the okay. people working with people. We don't use no, we use, you know, you, what can you do is what we focus on. And then when you're focused on what can you do and you don't hear the word no, there's so many things that people can accomplish that somebody else might have been like, oh, we're not even going to try. Mm -hmm. But, you know, why not try? You can either you, you could surprise yourself in so many ways. And it goes back to me. A lot of times I think about that moment where they're like, you can't do that. I'm like, well, I already did. So yeah. I guess you're wrong. Right. And yeah. so I think about that when we work with a lot of the people we work with. Yeah. I like to say disabilities don't discriminate. They really don't care where you live and, and you know, uh, how much money you have or whatever. And, and that's how we approach things. I mean, we, we approach everyone the same way and, like Tina Marie said, work with their abilities and identify those and, and not even really focus at all on, on what they can't do. So, and, yeah. and that they, they get that um, message right away mm -hmm. and it helps them kind of open up their mind to, and to the possibilities. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm glad that they get that message and I'm glad that they're hearing that because I think that's a really important one. It's really important for everyone, really. It's not just certain groups of people. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation so far. I think we've learned some great life lessons already. And I don't want to lose people because I know we all have short attention spans on some level. So 
what I'd love to do is to do a two-part episode here and kind of keep this in one part and then keep the dive heart part in another part. <laughs> so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to end this first part of this episode um, and we're going to ask that you come back next week and that you listen to the second part of this episode to hear all about how Jim and Tina Marie started Dive Heart and what it means to them and what it means to the community. So be sure to come back next week to www.bridgingchicago.com to check out part two of our episode with Dive Heart. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.